all of humanity is about to be set free. The dawn of a new age has come. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another episode of Cryptique. Tonight, we ask that you like, subscribe, follow, and click that share button. I'm joined, as always, by my podcast mate, Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well. No no joke this time, so I have nothing to try to come back to. Well, I figured I would save uh, Mr. Jacob the jokes. Normally, <laughs> I, I kind of introduce Ryan with a silly... Uh, intro but we're going to be talking about some serious stuff so let's keep it serious but we're excited about tonight's guest mr frank jacob mr jacob is an award-winning independent filmmaker editor director composer and creative designer producing compelling documentary and commercial films for a diverse and exciting range of broadcasters and brands from forbidden archaeology to sexy cars consciousness to extreme sports From story development to camera work, music, sound design, graphic design, and motion graphics, Jacob works at all levels of the production process on all industry standard software platforms. Welcome, Frank Jacob. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. How are things in Germany now? Pretty crazy, uh, I gotta say. Um, Our government seems to have been taken over by a bunch of uh, insane people who have no accountability to um, the process of democracy, if there is such a thing. And uh, they seem to be, um, yeah, just, you know, heading us head first into a miserable winter and a potential third world war. So other than that, everything's great over here. (laughs) It sounds very familiar. I feel like we're in the same boat. Yeah, with the world the way it is now nowadays, everything seems to have become a global community. So I think what affects one major Western country affects all major Western countries. So yeah, we're in, it, in the same boat. I think we're all in the same boat together. Germany goes down, you guys aren't going to be far behind. So we are here today to talk basically about looking glass technology and guardians of the looking glass. Can you Tell us, tell our listeners first off, what is looking glass technology? Uh, well, it's a technology that allows those people operating the devices, the looking glass devices, to actually peer into timelines mm-hmm. from the perspective of the viewer into future timelines, and in particular, giving them an advantage, of course, of knowing kind of how things are developing. And it, uh, it got its start, I guess it, it sort of broke into the awareness of the, yeah, the, what do you call them, the fringe people, the disclosure, the awakening crowd, the sure. new agers, for lack of better terminology, that was sort of the time that it came out into that crowd is around the year, around 20 years ago, actually. Okay. 2002, 2003. So in that, that range, you know, people like Linda Moulton Howe were discussing it. Um, there was a guy called Bill Hamilton, a journalist, and there's some of the one of the main protagonists at the time um, was a guy called Dan Burish. And then you know years went by, and then Project Camelot got into the mix, and uh, Carrie Cassidy and Bill Ryan began doing a series of interviews 
with Jan Boersch, but also some with some others. Uh, and Bob Lazar was familiar with the technology. And there's been several other witnesses to the technology that have sort of leaked that it is out there, that it exists. So I've every reason to believe that it's absolutely a real technology. All right. So we're talking about like the Kronos Pfizer. Is that how you say it? Is it Kronos Pfizer? That the Chrono, uh, the, the Chronovisor. Uh, that's another technology. It's also a um, yeah technology that allows you to to view v- events in particular times, future times, even past times, and you know, even areas, even present time, other locations, and things like that. It's kind of like a more like a remote viewing device. Interesting. Uh, allowing the person who's using it to kind of tap into the field that contains the memories or the stored or embedded vibrations that have been created by events. Whereas the, the, the looking glass technology is a little bit different. It taps into something called stargates and it only operates when it's placed in proximity of these stargates, which can be, which are kind of like portals that allow access to you know, quantum time or quantum space, which is a different, so it's a different technology, but in a way, a lot of people tend to sort of put them both in the same boat, but they aren't. They're different technologies for sure. Okay. So when we're talking about this uh, technology, are we talking about, I guess, an objective look, or is it going to be subjective to whoever's viewing it or through, through whoever's consciousness you're kind of seeing it through? It's an objective view, absolutely. Okay, well, that's that's great. That's good to know because we know how everything's manipulated nowadays to, uh, you know, make it be seen the way that uh, the powers that be want us to see it. Well, if you have the ability to have an objective view of the future events, then of course you can. Then, by knowing, you know, things that are going to pres- that are going to happen, you of course then you can begin to manipulate the timelines that you see by you know setting in motion let's say certain events and you know once you've understood or like in the case of the looking glass project they spent years cataloging and digitizing the uh, you know you look at okay let me describe the device a little bit it's kind of like um you know people that have seen the film contact there's those spiraling uh, those uh, you know spinning spiral uh, loops that you know are around Jodie Foster, and then there's this plasma mm-hmm. energy that gets created. Well, this plasma. So if you could miniaturize that and set it into a room, almost like the size of a let's say a car, a small car, and then these um, loops create a plasma field which projects a holographic image. Then they filmed that image, which is wh- where they would b- witness the the timelines, and then later they could. You know, with the help of computers, they could analyze the footage, they could keyword the footage, and they could begin to play with it in the sense that, okay, we know that in, you know, in 2023, such and such took place. Um, so, you know, if they go in and they change something relative to that event in their and the, in their present time, then they can go into the future again and compare the difference between what they saw originally and what has now happened since they've manipulated that timeline. Uh, that, that makes any sense. It, it does. Before we get uh, too deep into trying to look into the future, can any of this technology see into the past? As far as I understand, yes. The looking glass technology 
apparently does also see into the past. However, the applications that, that I'm familiar with, with respect to looking glass, we're using it more to see into the future. Whereas the chronovisor was something that was definitely used on a regular basis to look into the past because it was developed in the Vatican. Uh-huh. It actually, they used it to go back in time and witness certain events, like obviously the crucifixion or, you know, things that were sort of, you know, key religious or powerful events that affected the the Vatican or the, the Roman Catholic Church to see how things, you know, went in reality as, as opposed to what they had documented. So they spent a lot of time with it looking into the past. But the chronovisor can also look into the future. But I think we're looking at two different, you know, technologies, and one of them was primarily used for looking into the future, looking glass, and the other one was primarily used for looking into the past, which was the chronovisor. Very interesting. The only reason I bring that up is because I would love to look into the past and see how much of what we're told as part of world history is kind of BS. And I think that would go a long way to waking people up to, hey, this is what we were told. This is what really happened. This is what we were told. This is what really happened. So obviously it's still going on today, but most people don't want to hear that. But right. All right. Well, I just I just wanted to to kind of knock that out before we moved on. But you you mentioned uh, stargates. So as far as what I've learned in my research is that the stargates are kind of generally associated with the Middle East. Is the looking glass tech the real reason that we uh, send our military into, like, say, Iraq or or the Middle East in general? I've, I've also, of course, that's been one of the things that you read about or when you research it comes up. I'm not certain. I know that the Middle Eastern aspect of it came into play because they had a functioning model um, and in Abu Dhabi, and they had, they were using it um, as it was actually a fairly larger version of the model that you know was normally like the one in Area 51, for example. But you know these stargates are not just in the Middle East; they're all over the planet. In fact, they're under the they're under the surface of the planet. They're on the surface, and they're also out in space. They're they're pretty much a natural phenomenon that happens in space. So. You know, but there are artificially created ones, you know, which, of course, makes you begin to think, well, who made them and where did they who, you know, where did they come from and how do they work and stuff. But as far as I understand, the artificially created ones were created by extraterrestrials and they um, were located in the Middle East because I think the extraterrestrial presence uh, had a large role or played a large role in the history of the Middle East. And there's a lot of, you could say, remnant technologies that are around in the Middle Eastern area, um, not just in Iraq, but also in Syria uh, and, and, you know, other areas where they, I think they had many reasons to, if they were to go in just for the looking glass, I'm not sure that would be, you know, yes, it's possible. However, there were other technologies, many other technologies. So I'm, I'm dubious about that reality of it being the only reason. I think that's one of those things that kind of like gets taken by the conspiracy crowd and, and modified and bent out of shape to fit, you know, some kind of a theory or thesis of theirs. So while it's not to be ruled out, I don't, I, I personally don't believe it was the main reason. Well, I guess that's good news. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to tell. So do we think that possibly, and I know you kind of answered this, but I'm just going to press on a little bit. Do we think that Hussein or Gaddafi 
or some of these people that the U.S. essentially went in and killed, did they have possession of this technology or was it more of a, hey, we've got to cover all our bases and make sure they don't get possession of this technology? Well, this, allegedly they did have access, but they did actually have functioning models of the looking glass. So, uh, you, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not, it's, it's really hard to, to kind of sort fiction from fact. Apparently they had a copy or they had a version of it. Um, the, um, the looking glass history also contains information about how the building plans for the looking glass were in sealed cylinders located in the Middle East, like Qumran and those areas like where there was, you know, scrolls and things hidden and they stem back to the Syrian, uh, like into the, sorry, to the Sumerian civilization. So, you know, was it building plans they found or was it a functioning unit that Saddam had that apparently he also gave to Gaddafi for them to play with? It's hard to say, really. It's hard to say, Jay. I, I you know, I, I would, um, I would leave that one open. Um, the fact is that eventually it do- did come into possession of the yeah the military or the secret military the the black projects the blackout projects and they began working with it and it was out of the hands of the people in the Middle East and that there was a war in the Middle East which kind of destroyed the infrastructure but you know Gaddafi was taken out for other reasons as well that have probably very little to do with the looking glass which are the kind of topics that the people in the West don't really want to hear about because he's been painted as such a villain that it's hard to reconcile what he was actually doing in Libya with his people, um, you know, with that image, <laughs> like a lot of things in history, like you were saying. So you have traced this uh, technology back to ancient Sumer. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes. So w- what can you tell us about like the discovery? Well, there's very little known or very little written about the discovery. They just, it just, um, it pops up in the, information that was brought out by Dan Burish for one because Dan Burish was intimately involved in working with that technology and it was him that through his interaction with certain extraterrestrials known as J-Rods through discussions with those beings that it was actually discovered and they actually went then to the Middle East to procure the technology and work with it. And he describes succinctly that it was actually inside of these sealed cylinders and they were building plans for them to put these things together. Uh, that's, I think that's pretty much the origin of that story. And, you know, as far as who found them and what their reaction was when they found it, that that's all pretty much nobody knows. You know, that's all kind of unknown history. Sure, that makes sense. So right now, we believe that this technology is in the hands of the U.S. military, right? A small, like you were saying, black ops type military organization or, or kind of an organization with, within an organization. And they're using it to kind of make their timeline come true. As far as the rest of us who plan to stay completely human and plan to stay organic we want a different timeline right can you tell us a little bit about the two timelines that are kind of fighting against each other right now i guess the idea of the two timelines emerged when carrie cassidy interviewed this guy called bill wood 
and Bill Wood was describing being pulled into the project in the late 90s to solve a problem that the operators of the, of the technology had, and that was that they couldn't see beyond a certain year. And at that year, everything just went blank. And the year that they were talking about back then was the year 2012. And the date was the December 21st, 2012 day. So it was a very auspicious day, of course. And um, it turns out that Bill Wood wasn't really called Bill Wood, but it was actually called Bill Brockbrader. Uh, and apparently, you know, obviously 2012 came and went. And, and the his his prognosis was that the... Um, the people that were the deep state working with the technology saw a future in which they uh, humanity would wake up mm-hmm. and they would see through the deception and all the lies and everything can you know which is basically our world kind of right now which is controlled by media which controls a specific narrative so they the people would wake up in 2012 and spontaneously kind of see all the the lies and the and the BS, mm-hmm. and that would be the end of the cabal. Mm-hmm. But we know that that came and went, and no, in fact, nothing happened. Nothing profound in that sense happened. So you know, a lot of the stuff was kind of went underground and disappeared for many years. And the way I came across it again, tying into your question about the two timelines, still, is that ten years later, uh, another group suddenly popped in out of nowhere calling themselves the guardians of the looking glass and they had a youtube channel that i stumbled on totally by fluke and there was a i don't know about 60 or so hits on their channel and i and there were these videos that were text videos describing that they had worked with this looking glass technology and they were part of the of the team there was a fraction in the team uh, going back to i guess the name of the team you could say originated with uh, majestic the Majestic 12 group was the one in charge of mm-hmm. capturing a lot of this technology starting as far back as the mid 40s, you know, to the early 50s. Um, and they they're the ones that captured the beings that, descri- you know, described the looking glass technology and who actually used the looking glass technology. And the the looking glass guardians were saying that the year 2012, that 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 basically this guy Bill Wood was kind of a shill. And that the year in question was the year 2030, but it was it was kind of the opposite of what Bill Wood had said. In f- in fact, it wasn't that the the everyone was going to wake up and then we were going to see through the illusion and take out the cabal. In fact, it was the the cabal was seeing that no matter what they did with the technology, how they affected the timelines, they always seemed to work out in their favor. They might be altered a little bit, but they tended to work out in their favor. So they eventually, at some point, they also put the project to sleep because of the prevalence of stargates that our planet was moving through being kind of dangerous and volatile. Mm-hmm. So the project was shut off for quite a while. And uh, now again, you know, we're through that area. And now that they're working through it, they're basically they're, um, the group that was working on the technology, which represented that part of the group that the Looking Glass Guardians claimed to be, uh, was not um, comfortable with the idea that the history that they were seeing was going to happen the way it did. And they really wanted to try and intervene. They wanted to try and warn humanity about things that were going to come and to try, obviously, to try and prevent them for the benefit of humanity. So they came up with this idea of emerging this year, 2022, 
which was one of three years that they noticed in the data that they had, having a complete set of the data themselves of looking glass material, there were three years in which another timeline broke off. Maybe we can go into timelines a bit later, but I'll just sort of jump at it right now with these, this timeline idea like you were asking. So the one timeline that the cabal was talking about always working in their favor, you could say is the timeline kind of that we're on now. The timeline that is the one that's filled with, you know, political chaos, like war looming, you know, climate change narratives, um, economic crisis, just, you know, everything. And it leads us into what, you know, Klaus Schwab and his group of World Economic Forum um, cult members call, you know, the transhumanist future, the future where artificial intelligence will dominate our society and we will move from being biological humans into step-by-step plugging into the metasphere or the digital world, um, starting with technologies like Neuralink, which, you know, someone like Elon Musk, which I know you know who that is, is developing. And this technology would eventually be matured to the point where they would slice your brain up into nano-sized slices and scan it into a hard drive and stick it into some sexy robot. And then you would have what they are hoping for, eternal life as immortal gods on the earth. That's the timeline that they want to shoot for. And and being the ones that are in charge of all the money and the military and the media and the powerful people that are sitting in the high positions of government around the world now, they have pretty good odds of succeeding with that timeline. The other timeline that the Looking Glass Guardians were trying to get our attention on was the timeline that has to do with humanity's um, awakening, kind of like Bob, uh, like Bill Wood described it, but it had to do with not just a spontaneous awakening, but with a cosmic event which is about to take place on our planet. And the projected time frame that it'll happen is by the year 2030. Now, you know, we never know about exact dates and exact years, and I, I, you know, but the interesting thing is if you look at that number 2030, it keeps coming up. And it's a very, very important number with respect to the, the Klaus Schwab Club. You know, they, uh, the 2030 date is one of those years that's listed as a key year in Agenda 21, mm-hmm. which is another huge topic. Agenda 21 is tied into this whole restructuring of society to move us away from being, you know, a, a society that's based on fossil fuels and polluting the planet and causing global warming, man-made global warming, and eating too much, you know, meat and using too much space and spreading out too far on the planet and polluting it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a lot of the, the interesting thing about Air, uh, Agenda 21 is if you look at their key points, it's not unreasonable. They, they have a lot of these points that, yes, we do need to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, on one timeline, it really does mean literally the eradication of biological human beings and um, the entry into the digital artificial world. And on another timeline, it means the, you could say, the predicted consciousness quantum leap evolution that humanity is apparently supposed to make which has been predicted by indigenous cultures in the past including the maya uh, who talked about a hunabku a ray from the center of our galaxy which would be hitting our planet around this time and it would initiate a series of events that would ultimately culminate in the in the fruition of this projected humanitarian evolution 
And I think that's kind of those two timelines that we're dealing with. And that's really what it's about. It's like, a, yeah, it's kind of like a timeline war between two kind of extremely opposing ideologies. That's very interesting. So tell us about your webinar series, because, you know, we can't possibly get into everything today that we would like to. But uh, for our listeners, there's an opportunity for them to learn just an amazing amount of detail of what we're talking about now. So tell us a little bit about your webinar series. Well, the, the webinar series came about because I, you know, I did this interview with, with John Nolan on Inspired. And, and at the time that I did the interview, I'd only just written an article about the Looking Glass Guardian phenomena what it meant, you know, what, what they were talking about, and in particular, certain events that were going to be taking place, false flag events that were slated to happen, which had to be prevented. Um, and that that article was picked up uh, by by Inspired Channel, John Nolan. He had me on. I talked about it. I, at the time, I'd kind of been out of the blogosphere for a while, and I didn't realize how big Inspired Channel really, how many viewers it had. And I opened my mouth and said, I was, I should do a webinar. <laughs> about this because I have so much information about it. Sure. Um, and then like hundreds of people wrote me and, and so I was kind of backed into, I had to do it, you know, so I did it. Um, so what I wanted to do with the webinar was to kind of not just talk about this newest chapter of the Guardians of the Looking Glass and what their information was all about, mm-hmm. but I decided to go back, roll up my sleeves and dig deep into kind of where it started, where the whole thing started, Um then you get into this information about Majestic. You know, you find out about who is Majestic and, um, you know, why are there these two different factions within a secret society? Because Majestic really is like the secret society of secret societies. Right. So part of you, part of what you do is you have to kind of go into that information and trace their history a little bit. Who are the members? What were the role of specific members? Where did that lead? Um, and what? how does that relate to now, you know? And um, the other thing that you kind of get into is, well, you obviously you discover this these, um, these communications that took place between members of Majestic 12 and later other members that were brought into these secret projects to begin communicating with the JROS to try and get as much information from them as possible. Obviously, there was always kind of the, the background for them is always to get military advantage to have advantage militarily over their enemies. Of course. Uh, but a whole lot of other information emerged in that communication, uh, including, you know, information about different types of ETs, which came back into time, actually to this time. And they were talking about a cataclysmic event that would be about to take place in our time right now. And so it's very interesting because this cataclysmic event does seem to have a foundation in reality so that's one of the things like i would look at all these sync points and i'd be saying okay well is there going to be a cataclysmic event what evidence do we have that there could be um a cataclysmic event and so you know i I get into cataclysm science and you find out about who were the pioneers and the protagonists of cataclysm science and what did they find and why do we not hear anything about cataclysm science anymore now Mm -hmm. right um, so there, and you find out that there's really just it's it was kind of went under because it was pushed under. It was pushed out of the public view by a clever through a clever way of deception because one of the key members, 
Charles Hapgood was um, pretty much the leading scientist, and he published a work that was basically telling us the truth about it, but it was made um, above top secret, so nobody could access it. And then um, to cover his bases, he published another version of that story, which was based on you know, fiction. It was it was easily debunked. Even and Einstein even wrote a foreword for it. So that book came out and changed the history because cataclysm science was ridiculed at that point. Um, people like Velikovsky were some of the people involved, and so you kind of get into that history. But we'd also done a film um, a while back called Revolution 2012, or so sorry, Solar Revolution. Mm-hmm. And Solar Revolution was a film that talked about how the cosmos. And in particular, the sun had the ability, or did it have the ability to affect man's con- human's consciousness? And so that film dealt with, and it still is to date, really the only film that explores the science behind that awakening process stimulated by frequencies and information coming from the cosmos. So that was something that I was definitely very familiar with. And so, um, you know, another of the documents you kind of stumble into when you're digging into this material is something called the Doctrine of Convergent Timeline Paradox, which was based on the conversations between humans and the J-Rods, which described the paradoxes that took place when those beings returned in time to this time and began to mingle and interfere or, you know, basically, um, yeah, participate in, in their past. I'm sorry, I, I just want to um, have you explain to the listeners who or what the J-Rods and the P-52s, and I think was their P-40s also, just what, what they are. They're, yeah, they're, the J-Rods are, um, they're classified as P-45s and P-52s. And so the P-45s represent human beings 45,000 years in the future. And the P-52s are humans 52,000 years in the future. So they actually, um, but the interesting thing is they look like what you describe these days as the gray aliens, the big eyes and mm-hmm. the, the big heads and the, and the spindly bodies and things. So what you're looking at with a J-Rod is human beings that have gone through 45,000 plus years of mutation as a result of their exposure to their whole history, what happened when the cataclysm took place on Earth, they ended up leaving Earth and going to Zeta Reticuli. And they came back now because the, um, well, there's various reasons. I mean, we're getting into the details here, but they basically came back for different reasons. The P-45s came back here to essentially maintain the timeline that that is their um, past because they actually are, are fine with it and it, it turns out that the P45s are like the descendants of the Illuminati and the okay. P45s are like 7,000 years their descendants and they seem to have developed empathy or something and they came back to try and stimulate mankind to realize that we are creator beings, very very powerful creator beings and that our consciousness can affect physical reality and this is one of the things that emerges in the doctrine of convergent timeline paradox so these things are all described, and so you and they they talk about you know they talk about things like um, the paradox that happens when when one future happens as opposed to the other future. Uh, they they talk about the cataclysm with respect to specifics in a language that is only really just 
a, lang the, a language that makes sense in our now in our present time because back when they were putting this information out it was 30 20 30 40 years ago you know the quantum physics language and vocabulary and, and the mainstream has only really just emerged over the last 10 years so back then that that you know information that they were putting out and those writings they were putting out were not making obviously wouldn't make a lot of sense to to people which is probably sure. why I think nobody did anything with it. It kind of went under. But that doctrine is um, is pretty damn fascinating, I got to say, having gone back into it. So in the Tale of Two Timelines, we dig much deeper into that. And we always try to kind of relate to, okay, what, you know, what were we told about the past? And are there any clues that what they were talking about in the past is real in the present tense from what we know now? And so a lot of stuff comes into it, stuff like, CERN is another topic that comes into it. Um, you know, CERN plays a role because CERN is another one of these technologies that um, allows access to um, other dimensions. So, and the Looking Glass Guardians in their messages were speaking about how the Large Hadron Collider at CERN was being used to affect the timeline. So we go into that in the Tale of Two Timelines as well. So, you know, these are some of the things that we dig into over like six hours it's pretty in-depth yeah that's that sounds amazing now when we're talking about cataclysms are we talking about natural disasters are we talking about man-made cataclysms uh what, what exactly are we or do we know and we'll find out more about that right after a quick break hey my name is ryan and I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Now, when we're talking about cataclysms, are we talking about natural disasters? Are we talking about man-made cataclysms? Well, we're talking about natural disasters, actually. We're talking, I mean, natural in the sense that they aren't um, triggered by anything like that we've done. Okay. I mean, in the sense that, you know, there's, um, there's a cycle, there's a cosmic cycle in the cosmos. And that has to do over has to do with certain things like the position of our planet in the galaxy and specifically with respect to the galactic plane and the galaxy that we are in the milky way galaxy has at its center a black hole in an area called sagittarius a and out of this black hole comes um yeah like particles radiation you could just say information frequencies radio frequencies x-rays gamma rays 
and this stuff because things in a black hole don't just black holes don't just pull things in they actually emit things as well and because mm. of the positioning and the and the structure of our gal our galaxy it has these arms i'm sure you're familiar with those arms of our galaxy and and the the white part of the arms are where it's more dense and the black parts of are, are the spaces in between the arms and as it turns out our planet is at a place now where it's it's in one of those spaces where there's little obstruction between us and the center of the galaxy and it's happened what's happening right now is another thing another phenomenon which we talk about in the tale of two timelines is something called the maser um you know the, the microwave laser you know it's like there's this um t- this this uh, microwave energy coming at us which is traveling multiple times faster than the speed of light so it's an almost instantaneous transfer from the center of the galaxy to us at this particular time nobody knows why of course but this is energizing a lot of stuff in our environment like all the planets in our solar system are gaining are gaining in temperature there's a like there's a, a a warming going on like there's a planetary warming going on because of the um energy coming out of the cosmos so mm-hmm. our planet isn't immune to that so our planet is actually also part of um you know an effect that is you could say causing global warming mm-hmm. uh and it's also affecting us in the terms that in terms of it's changing our magnetosphere it's changing the um the interaction between our sun and our planet with respect to this radiation as well and all these things seem to be playing toward a cycle that seems to repeat over long long periods of time like 26,000 years those kinds of dimensions and every time that happens our sun there's evidence that our sun either has mega flare activity or it it has uh, it goes through like what's called a micronova and that's sort of all part of this cataclysm science which has been swept under the carpet which nobody knows much about but apparently novas don't always mean the end of a planet that a star can actually have a micronova which is giving from it like a massive pulse of energy and if that happens so it's either going to be a, a micro um nova or it's going to be a mega flare and either of those have different consequences like a mega flare if it hits us and we're facing it whatever side of the planet is facing the mega flare when it hits is going to be just fried just simply it's that kind of level of energy and we normally have something called our magnetosphere through our schumann resonances and the and van allen belt as part of it we have these mm-hmm. magnetic fields around the planet which are shielding us from the brunt of the negative effects of this radiation normally coming at us from the cosmos but right now we're not only getting an elevated amount of that information and that rel- that radiation coming at us but as it turns out the earth's magnetosphere is as weak as it's ever been in fact it's almost non-existent in some places of the planet it's even completely you know gone below the surface hmm. so we are like um sitting ducks <laughs> and and the sun is the other protector of our planet it has the heliosphere and the heliosphere is the first wave of defense it hit these particles will hit the heliosphere and then they'll be diluted and whatever's left over comes and gets you know basically absorbed by our magnetosphere and you know and and basically steered clear of us but what's happening now is that the sun coincidentally you might say or maybe not happens to be at um a grand solar minimum in fact mm-hmm. it's it's the lowest minimum that we've ever experienced in recorded history 
So what's happening is that that heliosphere, which normally protects us, is mm -hmm. being contracted toward the sun. And mm -hmm. so now we're like even more exposed to what's coming at us. So what do you want to call that? Um, of, 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 you know, a fluke of nature? Or do you look at the cosmos as a created being, like a creative, like creation? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, there's no accident in creation and that these things may have been planned. So whatever is hitting us could, you know, be something which in one particular frequency, which is actually coming at us, is the um, 150 megahertz frequency. And if you okay. um, analyze DNA, you realize that our DNA also vibrates at those particular, it's in, it goes in resonance with 150 megahertz. And if you know anything about sound, then you know that when two things come into resonance with each other, they share information. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like there's this mechanism out there which caused the heliosphere to contract, the magnetosphere to, to um, ebb, and for us to be you know, in full exposure to frequencies which actually can affect certain parts of our brain. In fact, there's another organ in our brain called um, the pineal gland. And the mm -hmm. pineal gland also resonates with 150 megahertz. In fact, when it resonates at 150 megahertz, it produces something called dimethyltryptamine, which mm -hmm. is um, a chemical which many, many people, it's called DMT, which uh, people, it's the active substance when people do things like ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And there's actually pure forms of it as well. And there's been, you know, studies done with people like Rick Strassman that analyze what people see when they experience dimethyltryptamine um, in the body in high levels. So mm -hmm. what could be happening is that, you know, the Hunabku or whatever you want to call this ray might be this information is coming at us. We might have been placed in a certain position in the galaxy at this particular time in our human evolutionary stage where we actually could get the full benefit of this information coming at us. But the, the, the clincher is we need to know this because mm -hmm. if we don't know it, it could be it could be more confusing than anything else people might actually be feeling the effects of it and not knowing how to deal with it or what it is they might think they're going crazy or something right sure uh, so you know and then tying it in my i'll just add one more aspect of it and that's the the doctrine of convergent timeline paradox they talk about the ability of human consciousness to actually affect matter and the cosmos so that it's not mm -hmm. a one-way street that our consciousness by elevating ourselves into higher frequencies can actually affect backwards the cosmos as well. So that's our opportunity to avert a cataclysm. I want to just kind of ask a question here. Is is this what you've just described? Could this be behind the global warming that we're being told is is happening on Earth? And it's not so much the fossil fuel burning or the carbon, but just kind of like what you described as the natural kind of progression of of our, you know, galaxy and where we're headed. Good question, you know, because, I mean, once you know this information, it's kind of hard to deny um, that global warming has something to do with factors other than the idea that man-made uh, carbon emissions can affect the climate of the earth, which is the main argument behind, um, you know, pushing through all these draconian, you could say, um, you know, legislations, uh, which are based on faulty science, or let's say they're based on incomplete science, because if you leave this piece of the puzzle out of it, 
then you're not looking at the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And you know, I remember doing some shows where I showed this. You can you can look at the total number of gases that um, exist on planet Earth and break it down into a pie. And and then you can you know you can calculate the amount of those gases which make up CO2. And it's such a small sliver that you know on a circle, uh, you know a completed circle, it would make up like almost the size of like if the circle was a clock face, you could say that the amount of carbon CO2 that comprises that complete clock face is the second hand, not even the hour hand, but the second hand in terms of you know relativity. And then it's so small that you can, in fact, hardly even see it. So you actually have to make a pie out of that again to see how much of percentage of that actual CO2 is then made by man. And mm -hmm. what happens is that it's like it's come, it's it's less than zero point zero you know eight percent of the actual carbon generated is created by humans. So the argument that human-made carbon dioxide can play a role in affecting the climate of the earth is absolutely preposterous when you look in terms of that fact alone. But another clincher is the idea that they use to sell us on man-made global warming is to show us that hockey stick where the curve just rapidly goes, to, you know, it's shooting up. And if we go up one more degree, you know, as it, or 0.8 degrees in the next 10, 20 years, we're going to have like Manhattan underwater, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But it, the problem is that that hockey stick is again, only a very, very small portion of the complete known history of climate on this planet. And if you extend that, and that only goes back about 125 years, if you extend that hockey stick back in time about 450,000 years, you can see that the position and the place that we're on on that hockey stick is somewhere down on the, on the colder side of historical temperature fluctuations. There have been three major huge temperature fluctuations and you can see for example on a graph like that that the days that the vikings were on greenland the temperatures were on par were, were on average three or four degrees higher than they are now and there was another ice age that took place so there's these cycles of ice ages and global warming that happen routinely and if you only look at the last couple of centimeters on a scale that goes you know like that's a yard or two long it's another way of, you know, of gaslighting us into believing that we're causing it because it's ridiculous. It's actually not not possible. And, and in fact, there is no peer reviewed scientific paper that proves man made um, climate change, even though there's all these people saying that there's a consensus that all these thousands of scientists agree that man, you know, man is affecting the climate. Um, you can pretty much figure out that the majority of those scientists are ones that are funded by the same people that are trying to sell us on the idea of man-made global warming, always going back to the Agenda 21 people. Um, and that the majority of those who are saying, no, it's absolute bull, um, they're people that are independent and they can show us models that are more complete right. and that show us the complete picture. So what's happening right now with the warming of the planets absolutely has an effect on our global temperatures that's why they now call it climate change they just call it climate change because yeah climate is changing people <laughs> it's changing because it's normal for it to change in fact always it changes has. in cycles it always has and in fact we're on one of the colder periods that we're in right now than we've ever been that's very interesting yeah like we always advise people follow the money uh, i mean right if you follow the money you'll find your answer 
And the, the thing we should add here, okay, for people listening, is that we're not trying to deny that man isn't screwing up the environment, okay? Sure. Yes, he is. Yeah, absolutely. But the reasons for that have also more to do with money, like you just mentioned, than the fact that there isn't technology that exists since at least 100 years that would create free and clean energy. Yeah, and that would energy is the biggest problem behind the pollution, right? Why? Because they're telling us, you know, oil, carbon, right? We need to blow right. carbon. Well, we don't need to blow carbon in the air. And it's just ridiculous to, to try to sell us on the idea that the only technology that we have to create um, energy is either nuclear, which also is explosive technology, mm-hmm. or fossil fuels, which is explosive technology, when in Germany in the 1920s and 30s, they were developing implosive technology, which is non-polluting, which is another mm-hmm. another way of generating energy altogether. And Nikola Tesla had developed methods, Otis T. Card developed methods, there's people that have developed water cars, even hydrogen, you could argue, is a more uh, beneficial method, although hydrogen I'm not in big fan of because it requires so much energy to create. And it has to be stored under extremely high pressures, and it's the infrastructure behind it is kind of just like another version of gasoline, which I think we should sure. get beyond that. Sure. Um, so before we jump ahead, I'm just going to come right out and ask it: Where did humans come from, in your opinion, or um, you know, in your belief system? Where did humans come from? Where did we start? Oh man, you had to ask that one. Okay. <laughs> Where do I believe we came from? I believe that, I mean, I'm, okay, let me just say, I've had, in the course of my life, I've been exploring alternative information like this for, you know, the better part of the last, you know, 30, 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I've had different opinions about where we came from. And the funny thing is, now that I'm kind of gone through all of this material and I've gone into the UFOlogy field and you know I'm sort of like involuntarily because I made a film called Packing for Mars that sort of pulled us into that genre mm-hmm. um, and you know we've come through and I've put together this whole webinar about um, the looking glass and you know and pulled in so many interesting facets that that are part of that big picture um, I'm even now beginning to explore something called geocentrism um, you know which you know which was originally part of Ptolemy, right? And, you know, the idea that there's these realms and, you know, this idea that many people that are, that believe in flat Earth sort of go back to the Ptolemaic maps, but it's actually not that the Earth is flat. It just means that the Earth is at the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And there's actually science now out there which is emerging, which seems to indicate that it's actually not a crazy idea that we actually might be at the center of the universe, at, at a sweet spot right in the middle. And that the universe is turning around us, which is kind of what the Ptolemaic model was telling us about. The model that, that emerged later, you know, with Copernicus um, and Galileo was the heliocentric model, right? Where you think we're traveling through space at X thousands of miles per second, you know, and that's one of the things mm-hmm. that the flat earthers love to use as an argument that, hey, we'd be flying off the planet if it was really spinning through space at that speed. Well, if you dig into the geocentric model, uh, you know, and you, you find out that even Einstein said that there is no optical experiment that you can conduct that proves that the Earth is moving. Isn't that interesting, right? It is, yeah. And and if you look at the um, uh, the Planck uh, satellite um, information that was brought back, where they did 
um, you know, a spectro a spectrograph of the entire cosmos to find out that hey, if there was a Big Bang, which is the foundation of the heliocentric model, that there was a center, a Big Bang, and we're traveling outward from that center, well, um, you would have this trace radiation everywhere in equal amounts spread across. From it would be hotter in the center where the Big Bang took place, and would get weaker and weaker. As it moves to the fringes, right, and they expected to find that when they sent the Planck satellites out there. And what happened? Well, they found out that actually that's not the case. There's actually an there's actually hot spots which seem to form in equator. And if you map that thing out in 3D, guess where we're sitting? Right in the middle. And right in the middle, right. And there's other like there's about eight different arguments you could make. And culminating in the very simple fact that that you know um, um, it was Mach who said that it does it like it doesn't matter whether you know you calculated the universe from a heliocentric perspective mathematically or a geocentric perspective mathematically both maths were valid. So here we are. So hmm. you're asking me wh where do I think we came from? How we were created? I would I'm starting to lean toward. More of this, almost like, um, yeah, for lack of a better word, this biblical idea, biblical idea that we were created by a creator being, and that we are special. That you know that we actually are special. That we're not just random accidental rocks and molecules which smash together over infinity to create this random accident, which then is the re the result of which is human consciousness. Right? That is the heliocentric model. It's the atheistic model. We mm -hmm. couldn't have a creator. There is no God. The cosmos is dead. It's just a bunch of energy and rocks and molecules and atoms. And they're, you know, they can't explain it. But you know, that that must be the only solution because there couldn't be a creator God, right? And uh, we couldn't be special because that makes us arrogant. But indeed, you know, like I was describing to you, some of these coincidences that we just happen to now be sitting at this particular sweet spot in between the ar uh, galactic arms of our galaxy at this particular time where our brains have developed a certain kind of cognizance which would be prepared for a next evolutionary leap. So, um, and if we are creator beings, then it would make sense that we would be helped from, you know, the cosmos would be part of that creation we are connected to. So the cosmos would be interacting with us on a kind of a cosmic orchestration to create this moment where we make that evolutionary leap. But it would only be true if we indeed are special beings. So, you know, what do you think? Are we created or are we an accident? I'm leaning toward the idea that we actually were created and that we actually may be special. What do you think, Ryan? Where do you stand on that? There's a lot to take in from everything that's been said so far, but I kind of lean towards a mixture of the two, that there are aspects of us that are maybe not an accident, so to speak, but a product of our environment and everything else that's happened. But then it's difficult to explain consciousness and the level of advancement that we have versus other creatures on this planet. You know what I mean? The divide is so wide, you would expect there to be right. something close to us if it was all just an accident, you know, just mixing together parts and several missing links. Yeah. Well, there's a formula for it, uh, Ryan. Like they, um, you know, when you do an experiment in science, you calculate the, you know, the amount of 
error involved in the experiment. Usually, if you're off by a factor of one or two or three, you got to go back to the drawing board and, and you know reconfigure your um, your experiment. You know, factoring in these errors and then reconduct the experiment and hope that next time it goes better. Right? Well, there's um there's a factor for the heliocentric model of error, and that number is 10 to the power of 120. So if there's ever been someone who believed in a conspiracy theory, I would say it's the heliocentrist simply based on the probability of their model being correct. Mm. It's so far off that they continually have to invent new things to make it work. Like, for example, the idea that the Big Bang took place at, this, at a center and we're moving outward. Well, they're now figuring out that there's huge chunks of there's huge families of galaxies, like not even single galaxies, but families of galaxies moving toward us and other i mean moving in a direction they shouldn't move in because that couldn't be true if it actually emerged from one central point and went outward and expanded how could then things be coming back toward the middle at the same time it just doesn't make any sense right that's one example here's another thing to think about the pineal gland of the human brain is situated in the cavity in a cavity in the middle of our brains and it's this tiny little organ and Everything in our bodies is very, very meticulously constructed. It's just amazing the kind of symbiosis between our cells, the um, you know the um, the skin of the cells, the outside of the cells, the blood, the brain, you know the bl- the blood-brain barriers, and all these things that have to do with what is allowed to get into our brain and what isn't allowed to get into our brain. But the pineal gland, so, so like there's no accidents in a way in our human body. But it's really interesting that the pineal gland is sitting in a cavity in the middle of the brain that's hollow. And that could seem to me only mean one thing. It means either that our pineal gland used to be much bigger mm-hmm. because it filled the whole cavity or that our pineal gland has been given space to grow and that with this coming quantum evolutionary leap, our pineal gland will grow to the size to fit that cavity completely. Wow, that's that's very interesting. I just heard a theory recently, and I, I'm having a lot of trouble finding any kind of research on it or anything, but uh, with head binding that took place, you know, in many ancient cultures, that maybe it wasn't to try and look like you know, visitors from, you know, another planet, another dimension, the future, whatever. But the head binding was done to change the placement of the pineal gland in the brain to allow for more psychic experiences, uh, you know, abilities, things like that. And and I just, I, I'm really wanting to dig into that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, we obviously, I mean, as you know, we've worked with Klaus Dona. He's um, an out-of-place artifacts researcher, one of the best knowns on the planet, actually. And he was one of the first people to present the elongated skulls and the pictures of them because he went down to South America and he met with a lot of people and he was given entree into privy into museum backdoor rooms and things where there were a lot of these artifacts that are unexplainable. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, we put out, yeah, imagine, right? And when I met him, it was in the making of Packing for Mars, so... You know, I saw he had no book or no DVD or anything. He was just doing YouTube, you know, interviews. So I said, we ought to do, um, we got to do something for him. For him. So Tanya Maidenford, my partner in, um, for, in, um, in crime for Packing for Mars and, you know, everything moving forward. Mm-hmm. She and I decided to put together a DVD for him and we put it out. It's called uh, uh, Klaus Donner Chronicles. And in that, there's all these different 
part there's a you know whatever we could get our hands on that klaus had that was in a more or less presentable form we put together on that dvd which is the also the only one of its kind out there um but you know he um it's interesting because the the culture of the elongated skulls seems to have happened in particular geographic locations on the planet sure um and i mean without you know um giving up on the idea that humans may be special there's nothing to say that we we know that time travel and time and time is a dimensional factor and that it's quite conceivable that there are you know maybe less other races of extraterrestrials out there that are foreign than to say that maybe those extraterrestrials which there's a large community you know which is claiming access or communication with may actually be part of the human family and it's interesting if you you know a lot of the descriptions of them they you know with it with with the exception of perhaps the you know exotic ones like the insect beings um the or and the reptilians uh by far and large they're humanoid they're human looking they're just taller or smaller and depending on the j rods are like mutated versions of humans as they describe who are back here to kind of harvest at least the p45's genetic material to reconstruct what they lost in the in the exposure to the toxins and and the cosmos but um what hap- what if you the entertain the idea that the elongated skulls really are actually a a, a branch or a division of human beings and there are other areas on the planet now where they are being uncovered and that they exist and it's it's now it's now uh, there's evidence emerging that that there was a really there was a high tech, technological society which lived in the area I'm in here in in the southern, southern bavaria um you know um, austria switzerland german area that goes back that's been dated to go back 60,000 years wow where you find pictures of ufo's pictures of cosmic events that took place and elongated skulls so um you know i think it's quite conceivable that it's all rela- all related just maybe from different times that they were here at a different time and they disappeared again and went back to another time where they came from or another planet in another time and that we could actually like our destiny seems to be like jj hertog another person that we we know very well who wrote the keys of enoch talks about our destiny being to go out into the cosmos our destiny is to go out to the stars to become a star faring civilization so conceivably if time travel exists then this already has happened and the evidence that we're seeing of it are things like the j rods and things like extraterrestrial interaction with people that um they're reporting all over the planet so do you believe that there was a highly advanced race like the anunnaki that gave us technology to do things like building the pyramids and and these feats that we couldn't accomplish today with our you know our modern machinery that there was an advanced human race that maybe got lost at some point for lack of a better term or was erased from history or that there were ultra terrestrials extra terrestrials whatever that came and gave us say like sound technology to move you know the the blocks of the pyramids or some of the other you know things that we've seen that are amazing like puma punku and and places like that Well yeah I mean it's you can't rule it out it seems to me quite obvious that there was I mean the evidence that there are were advanced civilizations on the planet is irrefutable the only question that remains is 
who were they really? You know, were they really、um, foreigners from other planets, or were they human beings from other times? This is, and the thing is that you have to also look at it this way: every planet has its own gravitational field.、Mm-hmm. It has its own atmosphere of a very、mm-hmm. specific. Consistency with you know a certain amount of nitrogen, a certain amount of carbon, a certain amount of oxygen,、mm-hmm. and it seems to me more likely that whatever advanced civilizations that we found traces of on our planet were human, because how else would they be able to, you know, thrive and live on the surface of our planet if they if they weren't human? Because even just going to Mars, you would not you you would you would change if you were to move to Mars. And adapt to Mars over the course of a generation or two, you would you would change your muscular structure would change,、um, your breathing you know requirements would change. You would adapt to having less oxygen, and so. But then, if you were to suddenly shock treat yourself back on Earth, you would probably not be able to stand up straight, and you would probably die within a few minutes.、Mm-hmm. And even the J rods had to be put inside of clean rooms, the clean spheres, where they had to exist. In a room where the nitrogen content was much higher and the temperature was much lower, for them to survive. So, how really,、um, how much sense does it make that extraterrestrials from other planets just sort of pop in here and、uh, kind of roam around? Well, I don't think it's physically realistic. Now, do they have proxies? That's potentially what's going on, where they have, you know, either clones that they place on the planet that look like humans but are actually potentially extraterrestrial beings. Mm-hmm. Um, or walk-ins, you know. There's lots of cases of the the whole story of the Venusians talks about them coming here and taking a body that they're not actually physical, but they actually put their consciousness within a human body and take over that body. And there's lots of examples of walk-ins that took place where their consciousness, where one consciousness vacated the body and another consciousness came into it. So.、Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess that doesn't really answer the question, but I, I do think that, you know, it's it's irrefutable that there were these advanced civilizations on planet that they gave us something, absolutely. I mean, they put things like the looking glass in sealed containers for us to find. Obviously, that that was a gift.、Mm-hmm. And the another race that、uh, was discovered by the J Rods when they came back was the P fifty two Orions, which are tall whites, which are like the Nordics. And they were here as the, the、uh, J Rods didn't even realize that they existed. That they came from the same timeline originally, and they were back here too right now, starting in the 30s,、um, maybe even earlier. I would say I would venture to say that the connection between Maria Orsic and the Orions or the Aldebaranians was the P52 Orions, and the P52 Orions are the spiritual human beings that survived the cataclysm, and they went to Orion, and it's known that Orion is is a very powerful gate. It's a it's the seat of very high consciousness, you know. Some people talk about the Pleiadians, and you know, a lot of people say that the Orions are also negative. But、um, you know, the Hurtocks talk about it as being a portal through which a lot of、um, you know beings travel. So any kind of portal like that is going to be bound to attract not just positive but also negative entities. So the Orions could also be human future human beings that are back here, and their role was to kind of police. Um, the P45s,、uh, so that they wouldn't negatively interfere with human affairs, and they even created a treaty called the Tau Nine Treaty. So, I mean, we're almost seeing something similar to Terminator, right? Where 
people are coming back to try and keep things one way and then people are coming back to try and you know change things for the positive so exactly well a lot of the hollywood movies are actually fact uh, which they embed into fiction and they put it out there to just kind of it's called preemptive programming yeah preparing us for what's coming right right exactly yeah all right well let's jump back in to the webinar tell us about the deep states transhumanistic timeline what what are their are their goals to just make us all robots basically with what they tell us is a consciousness like our consciousness is going to be placed into a machine is is that their goal for everybody to just be machines well they believe uh, again it comes down to the essence of their belief being um that i mean the core of their belief is atheist or some people go as mm-hmm. far as and say satanist mm-hmm. yeah that um that man is the ruler and that satan represents man uh, and that you know, it's our destiny to become like Yuval Harari, one of their you know, their, he's like one of their high priests of technology. Right. He has a saying he's known for, which is history began when man invented the gods, and history will end the day man becomes god. So they they believe very much that we are destined to become gods, but they don't see biological human beings as being the ultimate creation. They see biological humans as being a flawed system and, you know, with many, many shortcomings and that their prognosis is that we are destined to create a higher version of a human being, which is not limited by the biology like we are. So we will have, instead of biological analog bodies, they will create um, an environment to inhabit uh, where consciousness can inhabit an artificial carrier which is limitless which is immortal in their mind you know so whether that is um in the form of a robot or whether that is in the form of just software Mm -hmm. i think is yet to be determined i think in both cases they like if you listen to ray kurzweil and some of his talks he's you know he he believes the idea that human consciousness will be downloaded into a carrier and that once your once your consciousness is inside of a um, immortal carrier like a hard drive of kind then your only limitations is the is the hardware so you can expand the hardware and you can change the hardware you can adapt and you can develop and you can improve the hardware just like we can improve computers our computers have gained immensely since the first models that were out there in the 90s or 80s to where they are now just like that he believes and they believe these transhumanists that silicon is the future not carbon and that we will trans we will migrate into silicon and leave behind the carbon world Mm. that's where they're going so there's several ways for them to achieve that um one of the ways um for them to achieve that is to reduce the human population um to you know an acceptable amount so that we'll have they'll have an easier time um dealing with resistance to the ideas that they're presenting because there are many people on the planet right now that have problems with the idea that humans are going to leave carbon and go to silicon and that the creation is a flawed and that human biology is not far superior to um, a technological device in the form of, of a computer. But, you know, if, the, if and the, the biggest fear that, that these globalists have is that mankind will wake up from its slumber 
um, its programming and realize there's more of us than there are of them, and right. we can end the game very, very quickly if we want. So one of the ways that they want to ensure that that it doesn't happen is a program of depopulation. Mm-hmm. And we've heard the famous, you know, quotes from Bill Gates, and we've now, you know, with the course of um, the last two years of the snake bite technology, which has been developed, have come to realize in retrospect that there are an unbelievable amount of cases that prove that this um, snake bite technology is much more than what it was being presented to as in the very beginning. And in fact, it has to do more with gene-altering substances, which go into our DNA and alter our DNA. <clears throat> and that's the second part of where they're going. They want mm-hmm. to change our DNA and begin to, you know, to... Um, they always say it's in the purpose of, you know, benefit of mankind. They'll get rid of... They'll eradicate all diseases. Uh, they will find any genetic flaws you might have, and they can, you know, go in and surgically remove and change your DNA. Mm-hmm. And so they will m- move in that direction in terms of um, converting our bodies more and more from an analog biological being into a um, synthetically enhanced being. That's the first stage. They will turn us into cyborgs, kind of we're like like the six million dollar man you remember that show in the 70s right right Right? so you have like certain parts of you are mechanical and other parts of you are still organic and that's the next stage that they're going for and they want to then you know bring us then the next stage which is to turn us from being um unable to compete with robots they're gonna connect our consciousness with the internet Mm -hmm. and so they're developing something now called the internet of bodies and if you look Mm -hmm. at the patents that they've developed they're showing very specifically how they're going to convert our blood um, through the use of nanorobots and nanotechnology. They will actually convert our blood into technology which communicates with the outside world so that there's modems and, and um, you know digital carriers of information and DNA can be used to store data. They've already proven that. So they're going to begin to turn our bodies into walking modems so that we are essentially walking around. We don't need computers anymore. We don't need modems. We don't have to sit in front of a computer. We can immediately compute the information that's in the in the metasphere through the use of 5G and higher um, wireless technologies, which are being installed right now all over the planet. So that would be the next phase. And that would be information that they have complete control of as well. Well, yeah, of course. You know, all the information that we are going to be able to tap into in that metasphere has been written on a hard drive somewhere, right? That doesn't include, let's say there's an existing uh, library of Alexandria, right? Stored in some cave somewhere on some continent no one's ever found with all the information about where we came from. Well, unless somebody has scanned that in and turned it into a digital form of information we don't have access to that technology that's gone so anything that isn't digitized and stored on a hard drive that is the future metaverse everything that is outside of that technology is no longer part of our reality Um, Mm. and there's only one other element of it which plays a factor and that's called the magnetosphere and we have michael persinger talking about it in solar revolution as the containment field for everything that ever has been thought done spoken or acted on in the entire history of humanity it's been stored in earth's magnetosphere like a giant hard drive Hmm. but that's out of our reach we can't just tap into that and that's also going to be out of reach of the machines so where do we draw the line with kind of merging with technology i mean we have pacemakers we know you know that those are extremely 
helpful in lengthening people's lives. We have the alleged, I guess, Neuralink that's on the way that's going to be able to help the blind see, allegedly. And so, so where do we draw the line? I mean, in reality, you know, my dad got a, a pacemaker and it's, it's hooked up by Bluetooth. The information goes straight to his, his doctor, all that. I mean, they could just essentially shut his heart down if they wanted to. But where do we draw the line on what we take in as technology that allows us to still be completely human and then the transformation takes place where we're less human and more machine, more AI, more robot, however you want to put it. Well, I mean, that's that's up for debate. That's the discussion we should be having all around the planet right now when we still have time. You're hitting on the key. This is the key issue, Jay, right? Um, it, it's like if we don't begin to think about the fact that in one generation, which is the amount of time that they're estimating it'll take them to complete this move, 20 mm -hmm. years, 20 years, that's our mm -hmm. lifetime. We're going to experience this. Right. That if we don't begin to debate and talk about what this means, we it'll be over. It'll be too late when the machines are walking around us and they've created a sentient artificial intelligence. Um, then it'll be too late. So the, the time for that debate is right now. I mean, there's, you could, there's all sorts of approaches here. There's going to be those people who are going to say there's no, art, there's no um, model where there's any kind of synthetic aspect added to humanity, which is acceptable. In other words, the pure human being in its purest form is, is it. There is no line to cross here. There is nothing to stick into it. There's no, you know, no wire needed. There's no gene therapy required for us to unlock the potential of our full human potential as a human family. Um, and there are those that are going to say, well, you know, I think it's going to be a combination between the two. I think some enhancement is going to be cool. Uh, there's a lot of people that are digging this right now. There's people that are happily lining up to have chips installed in their system so that they can open their house door and their garage right. door from afar. People are digging this stuff, and it's sold to us as being a very sexy kind of future. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it in a lot of the Netflix and Prime shows that are Disney Channel. I mean, they're they're selling us through our, their preemptive programming on all these ideas already. Um, but I, I remember in the... Um, very early part of my life, I was fortunate enough to come across um, um, some material about morphogenetic fields and the human body and foods in particular. And I, and I spent some time working with a woman called Ann Wigmore who had, had a clinic in Boston called the Hippocrates Institute. And she had figured out a way to use the life force of sprouted foods and grass juices and, um, you know, uh, sprouted nuts and things like that to to pull energy from uh, foods. It was beyond raw food. It was beyond, you know, vegan. It was beyond um, just eating cooked vegetarian, way beyond because you were pulling life force from the food and getting the minerals and elements and enzymes and amino acids from um, non-meat sources that you need as a human being. And I experienced that and did it for many years of my life. I lived that way. And I realized that when you begin to purge your body what happens is when you begin to eat certain foods you can actually purge your liver and you can purge your body of many many toxins and you begin to have a very very clear perception of what's going on in the world in fact it was so clear i actually backed off of it because it was 
almost painful to be that conscious living amongst a bunch of unconscious people back in the 90s. So I sort of, you know, acclimatized myself back into like I'm a now a hybrid between <laughs> that Puritan form of living and not. But what it taught me where I'm going with this is that it mm -hmm. shows us that we actually have a way to optimize humans, which we've never even realized on mass. We're eating processed foods. We've got chemicals in the water supply. There's chemtrails, you know, in the skies. There's all this kind of stuff in the environment, poisons everywhere, you know, radioactive Uh, frequencies coming from modems and cell towers all around us. We've actually never been able to experience modern humanity in a very, very high pure state with very powerful nutrition and natural forms. We've sold ourselves out to the convenience of fast foods and chemicals and convenience. And uh, so alone that would be a game changer if we did that. I mean, but what are the odds that everyone's going to start to do this, right? It's like it required effort. I actually grew a garden in my apartment in Montreal in the middle of the winter and composted inside and things like that. Very few people are crazy enough to do that kind of stuff, but it shows you that it actually it works and it changes the human chemistry. So that's one form of a step that you would have to take in future humanity. We would clean our planet and we would clean our diet and we would eventually end up in that kind. I've seen that future. I've lived it. We would end up in a kind of environment that is clean And it kind of it would also clean up our mental states because you begin to, you know, it actually affects your brain. It actually affects the way you think. It cleans out your pineal gland. It taps your because our pineal gland has been calcified and fluoridated. I mean, you get rid of these things and you begin to actually, you know, embody the real pure humanity that we could be. Who knows what could happen, right? So there's that version that we've never been able to manifest. And I feel it's kind of a shame that we're rushing headlong into transhumanism you know, under the promise that we will be immortal beings based on an artificial version of reality before we've actually manifested this ultimate version of humanity. So for me, these are things that we need to be talking about with educated and intelligent people like adults, not like barking, screaming children or, you know, immature techno freaks, right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I think it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. It is the time to talk about it because it's by the time the sleeping folks wake up it's going to be too late and yeah so now's the time i wanted to ask you i, I have this in my notes I, i think i heard this on one of the podcasts i heard you on can you tell us about the max address or max address oh yeah <laughs> it, it is did i just open up a can of worms well yeah i mean i i don't, I don't mind um I'll, we'll just you know we can nutshell it because it ties into this transhumanist technology that's being developed yeah with the with the help of these um injections these uh snake bite technologies as we can call them um mm -hmm. they've actually you know proven and shown demonstrated that it alters your it introduces um elements into your blood chemistry that form into readable MAC addresses so that your body becomes actually identifiable, which is part of the Internet of Bodies I was just describing. So okay. that you can, you literally can walk around um, and your body has a, uh, a MAC address. You know, it actually can be pinpointed so that, you know, and I would do talks and we would be sitting around. Maybe that's what I was saying in this talk in one of the last conferences I was at. A friend of ours had um, an Android phone, and, he, and he, he put it into developer mode. And we and he walked around and he showed me um, that amongst the population in that particular room that we were in, 
that there were MAC addresses popping up all over the place, right? Wow. Um, and in the form, you know, of, of human bodies, right? So it was really kind of creepy. And, you know, these aren't phones. These are human bodies that are showing up as MAC addresses. And that means that we've already begun to, uh, to morph and change humanity into this model of transhumanism that's being forecast by these people unbeknownst to those people i mean literally did those people get asked before they were injected with snake poison did they get asked hey uh john you're gonna be um you know you're gonna have a mac address after this are you cool with that i mean it means that essentially your body's going to be identifiable from a satellite you cool with that i mean how many of us would have said yes (laughs) there'd be some I'm sure there'd be those freaks that would say, oh, that's cool. Absolutely. Let's do it. Right. But how many? Yeah. Fringe minority, probably. That's really scary. This is a violation of our human sovereignty. And this is, this is, these are the two timelines. There's the sovereign timelines. I call it the sovereign timeline. It's this timeline of humanity, sovereign humanity. Like in the truest sense of sovereignty, we've never been able, we've been striving for this sovereignty for so long. You know, and the democratic, the United States Constitution was supposed to be a democratic republic, which was supposed to guarantee the sovereignty of every single American citizen. To be a mm-hmm. sovereign means that you're on par with the king. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we're all kings and queens. And we've agreed not to go to war with each other. Uh, and that's the ultimate form of that constitution. But of course, it only survived 12 years before it was inundated and infiltrated by British agents. And then it's become this bastardized version of um, statutory law now where the corporations are hollow, fictitious organisms and every human being in America is basically just uh, via the birth certificate becomes a number and uh, part of the, you know, entered into the data bank of harvestable and programmable and and projectable incomes for the future that they trade on, actually. Hmm. So that's, you know, another precursor to the transhumanism. But we've never experienced this sovereignty in its purest form yet. And that is what we should inherit. That that is actually where we're striving for when people say we're going to enter the fifth dimension and whatnot. That's what they're talking about. That's very interesting. Uh, Ryan took a, he had to step away from the mic for just a second, but um, we talked about Mac addresses, Ryan. So he's telling us that he, would you go just explain it to Ryan real quick? again because he he's really in he's got all these different phones he knows all the different functions and uh just explain to him the mac address real quick just like the you know nutshell version well what happens is when people um take the jab they um included in that jab cocktail is a substance called graphene oxide and there's even now a whole group of scientists in germany and other places in europe that are have proven that of a thousand samples uh, over 960 show, you know, elements and structures in the human blood formed out of, you know, graphene oxide that actually can transmit information from the human body. And it goes back to the model of uh, the Internet of Bodies that they're shooting for, meaning that the human body, as soon as it has, you know, in, in certain cases, has been injected with these graphene oxide nanoparticles they actually can form into modems there's patents for this i could show you Um, but part of that is that you get a a mac address your body has its own unique mac address that they've injected into you so you can be read and 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 the, the question is 
is it two-way, right? And, and I think that the science also, I can show you the science that it's not just one way, they can actually program you as well. They can insert messages from the outside. So it's a two-way communication, which you've become subject to or privy to without even been asked for, for it in the first place. You have anything you want to comment on that? Interesting. <laughs> no, I wasn't prepared for that. I mean, a MAC address in technology terms is a unique identifier specific to a device. So, you know, like being chipped, like you chip your pet and yeah. People have this idea that they're going to have this chip, you know, this chip is coming, but this is all bullshit. There's no need for a chip. They don't need chips anymore. Chips is old ancient technology you know they they now have nanotechnology that actually can self-assemble inside of your body into whatever they program it to become it could be a modem it could be a receiver information dna has been discovered to become a storage device that can store um teraflops worth of information in the dna itself so they're gonna utilize our dna and our human bodies and this nanotechnology to make us uh, into this, you know, um, artificial, that's the first stage of becoming these artificial beings and, and ha having a Mac address is an essential part of that. Yeah, I know. It's scary. Yeah. No we should be talking about it. Everybody should be talking about this because this is happening. This isn't science fiction. This is really happening. It's real. And it ties into the coming financial system, the whole digital currency thing. CBDC, right? I'm sorry. I, I think we also, uh, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, we wanted to talk a little bit about the social credit system. And, you know, we see it implemented fully in China now, and it's pretty much on its way everywhere else, right? And I know you've talked about this before, um, the idea of money being tied directly to you as a person using these identifiers and the way governments are tracking you, right? Yes, Absolutely. This is something that I've been talking. This is one of the main themes that I've been... I mean, there's two main themes that have emerged from this whole Looking Glass project. One of them is, you know, the idea of the timelines and the decisions that we need to be making as humanity right now um, and what's coming at us and what's being, you know, sort of forced down our throats. And the other thing is directly related to it, and that is this idea of programmable digital currency, which is being planned right now in the G7 group. That's the idea of basically converting all of the cash that's out there into a digital form and tying it to your own unique identity. Yeah. So again, here you've got all the hallmarks of everything we've just been talking about, that your actual body itself has that unique identifier. It is that unique identifier. And so you will be assigned an account which will be regulated by the Fed which is going to be a central banking digital currency account, and that will be only usable by your particular body. And that that nobody will they'll sell it to us like it's some great benefit. People will not be able to hack it because it's your own unique identity. But the scary part of it is, is and that's the part they're working on most feverishly right now, is the idea of making it programmable. That means meaning that you could restrict the behavior or use of that currency if whatever power that be decided they didn't want you to do something right exactly yeah yeah this is something that i've been looking into i listen to a lot of economics podcasts and i've been listening to things about uh cryptocurrencies and the benefits of things like blockchain technology in terms of record keeping and accountability but also just the general benefits and pitfalls of digital currency in general and especially tying that stuff to your specific identity 
or being able to collect too much information. And I think we're already seeing some, I don't know, maybe some kind of smaller trends that are kind of coming towards what we're talking about in, in terms of invading people's privacy. You know, there are programs, well, I mean, just with like car insurance, you can get the little, you know, this dongle that plugs into your OBD2 port on your car and reports back how you've been driving. If you're accelerating too hard, if you're braking too hard, if you're driving erratically, you know, if you're driving more than you told them you were, but also there are health insurance companies. I don't know about here in the US, but I know in the UK, there are a few where if you wear like an Apple watch or a Samsung watch, you know, they can see some of your health data and verify that you're actually taking care of yourself, which is yes, hypothetically a good thing, but also very easy to misuse. Yeah, absolutely. This is the Internet of Bodies in the making. This is exactly where they're going. They want to read your vital signs. They want to see where you've been, not just where you've been, what you bought, but they want to know what your mental health state is like, what your gen and are you prone to emotional outbursts? Are you someone that's going to hit the streets and go into a revolutionary mode? I mean, uh, are you, you know, they can determine all those things, and they're going to be determining those things, and that's really um, the future direction that they really want to move us in. Uh, I think, you know, the idea that um, people think this, this again, goes back to this critical point of sovereignty, right? If we give up that aspect of, uh, of our biology, then we've been hacked. And Yuval Harari actually literally uses those words. You know, he's got a formula for it, right? Biological data uh, plus computing power um, plus, um, sorry, biological knowledge, I think, plus compute power. Plus, plus times data is the what they call the ability to hack humans. So they're going to make, and they look at us as animals. They call us hackable animals. He says those words. We are, in other words, we are not sentient. We're animals to be harvested and to be controlled. And, you know, what better way than to have these kinds of technologies working in their favor to do that with? Uh, so the, the whole social, um, you know, ratings thing social management thing is being experimented in as you mentioned in china and also in, in israel big time like they're the some of the most advanced but this uh, digital currency stuff's being basically explored in over half of the countries in the world and you know russia's got models germany's got models england has models um, they're planning it and, and cryptocurrency was only an experiment in my opinion to get to know how many people would be willing to embrace using digital currency in the, to begin with it was never going to be something they were going to allow to pose a threat against the central banking dynasty. So the and they also now know that that quantum computers are able to hack the blockchain. So blockchain is a limited technology. It's going to die. The next technology that they're working toward is quantum computer technology, and they're going to be tying our biological entity and unique number to a quantum computer, and it's going to be the it's going to be what the QFS were dreaming of in the most nightmarish sense. In other words, it's not going to be controlled by a quantum computer that's going to be sovereign and, you know, and cut the bankers out of the financial transaction. No, it's going to be the bankers that are running the quantum system that is going to regulate the money that they issue to us. And they're going to control who gets what money. And that's the scary part of what happened when this um, <clears throat> Gideon emerged. Um, rep representing this group of hackers that were working on the actual software. They call it the CSRQ, Common Restricted Sovereign uh, Quarantined Categorization Social Management Software, where it shows that people can be quantified according to their social status. 
Um, and that's no joke because there is actually a patent out there that was created for this um, U.S. patent 2021-008-2583-A1. It was put out, published on March 18th, 2021. You might want to look that up and do some research on it. But that's the patent that describes receiving the information, analyzing the information, generating a score, allocating into a score group, and then deciding another factor, vaccinations, according to the score group that you're in, which is exactly what these white hat hackers were claiming is going to happen to us. If you're one of those groups, if you're a sovereign, interestingly, that word again, they stole that word from us. If you're a sovereign, you have no vaccination requirements, you have no travel restrictions, you have no social management or social credit issues. But if you aren't in a sovereign group and you're part of the common class, which is 95% of the people, you, you are going to have vaccination requirements. You are going to have a carbon footprint that's going to be measurable. Like you were saying, they can actually install this stuff in cars. The scary part is, Ryan, in Europe, they already have legislation in place that is now forcing all new cars that are made. As of now, this isn't even something coming down the pipe that is going to require them to have technology built in that is going to be traceable so they can tell you how far you drove how fast you drove where you drove you know uh, what kind of gasoline you used and if you've been a carbon sinner hmm. it's all real it's all happening right now it's not coming it's happening now so again these are all things we got to be talking about because it's going to rapidly reach the point where it is far too late and then not even ashtar command can come and save us yeah, there's a lot of what you've been talking about that I think we're seeing examples of already, like in terms of, uh, I don't know, when we talk about social credit scores, I think of the episode of Black Mirror, where I think it's Bryce Dallas Howard is living in this world where your job depends on how other people have rated you and like where you can live and who you kind of associate with. And she's trying to sort of climb the social ladder. But every time she shows a little bit of humanity, her score goes down to the point where she right. loses her job, loses her friends, can't rent a car. And I mean, we're it's not exactly the same thing, but we kind of have that a little bit with social media where if somebody doesn't like you, they're going to dig back through 15 years of stuff that you've posted and yes. try to find something to come after you with. And you can be I mean, like uh what was it? Johnny Depp was fired from the Fantastic Beasts movies for being accused of something. Yep. And there have been people fired for refusing to put pronouns in their Twitter handle or, you know, posting the wrong political views, stuff like that. Right. Well, those are all the technologies that they're using now to acclimatize us to their ultimate realization. Mm -hmm. I mean, what could there be more, uh, you know, cryptic or diabolical than you you know you still have a choice now whether to have a facebook you know or whether to have a twitter account you can choose to do it or not to do it and you can choose what you want to publish or not but imagine if that is that that choice is no longer available that your choice is automatically read whether you agree with it or not right right and so they are acclimatizing us to these concepts they are like you say i mean there is even you know the idea of car insurance right what kind of a car insurance rate do you get how do they determine that how many accidents have you had, right? How many have you been uh, uh, drunk driving, whatever? I mean, they find all these things in your record and they jack up your, your insurance depending on your driving record. That's the most primitive form, you could say, of social credit rating. 
And it extends, of course, now with all these social media platforms into the fact that once COVID, um, the, the, the so-called pandemic hit, um, they began to, you know, they escalated their censorship program leading into all the platforms so that you could no longer say anything which contravened the official narrative, no matter how false that narrative or how fake it was or how unfounded on science or simple human understanding that was, you get deleted. You are out, you know, and that's what that's where we're moving, unfortunately. <laughs> it's very clear. Yeah. yeah, and there is one more example that you just reminded me of that's really basic in terms of sort of discriminating between social classes or however you want to define that. But I remember 10 years ago, something like that, there were articles saying that in comparisons when people were shopping, like, I, I don't remember how it was discovered, but they were looking at, I think, airline ticket prices. And they started noticing that when they were on a Mac, it would report a slightly higher price than if you're on something else. And all that information is reported back. It's, it's sort of technologically necessary for a website to function correctly. It has to know what kind of device it's sending this info to, but the companies were using that data to say, oh, well, they're on an Apple device. Those are more expensive. They tend to be owned by more affluent people, so we can hike up their prices by 5% and they probably won't even notice. Well, I never heard that one. Yeah, that's an old one. I don't know if it still happens, but I remember that being kind of a big deal a while back. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, before we wrap things up, I wanted to talk about Elon Musk's AI robot, whatever you want to call it, that he recently presented because I was expecting something a lot different. I, I mean, I almost feel, and I just want to get you guys' opinions on it, like it was something that was put out there where it's like, to say, this is as far as we've gone. This is all we can do. This is the best we can present right now. And I, I was wholly disappointed on what walked out on the stage. Do you guys think that we are much further along than this Android or whatever you want to call it that he put out there? Or do you think that's really the peak of where we're at technologically right now? Well, I would, uh, okay, I'll jump in. I do not think that that represents the state of technology that we're at, simply because alone the fact that Elon Musk is, you know, behind a company which is using 100-year-old technology in the form of rockets to get into space, to get to Mars, means that, you know, he's either knowingly part of a, you know, the same system which is trying to tell us that technology is only really still at that place versus the fact that we know that that there are you know plenty of recordings and videos and films and testimonies of people that are using completely different technologies to travel in space uh so you know he's either the front man to pitch the 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 dumbed down version of technology or he's really just, you know, unknowing and he's, he's, a, he's you know, clued out, clueless. But I really have a hard time believing that because his company's called Tesla. I mean, anyone with half a brain would probably be curious. Uh, Nikola Tesla is no big mystery anymore. And people know that name and they would look at who he is and where he came from, what he developed. And they would realize, oh, there's this guy Tesla who created, you know, wireless electricity. And he's the father of wireless communication. 
and you know he was uh, already come up with a with a, a car that drove without a motor in 1931. I mean, there's all this information that is publicly available now on Nikola Tesla. So, you know, by by um, by the same token, then the technology that he's working on with respect to AI, I would imagine, is the same kind of level of dumbed down versus reality. I do believe that uh, that the AI technology is far far further along than we are being told and they're just i would i almost venture to say my, my theory is that um you know and that's one of the things that i did for a while back at, during the whole COVID thing or just prior to it um i've been gathering information about ai um, computers and how they were using um quantum computers to run simulations and i believe that the whole COVID uh pandemic was run and for the most part by quantum computer ai and that the scripts being written were simply being written for people across the world because you could literally see the same phrases, the same numbers, the same information all being presented within hours by people in multiple different countries, over 193 different countries in the world were following the same narrative. This is not possible if human beings are trying to organize things. This is the perfect kind of example of how you would use autonomous artificial intelligence something that really is very very powerful so yeah i believe it's much for, further along than they're showing us ryan i think uh i don't know there there's general ai which i think is what we're talking about where it's intended to be conscious and be able to make decisions like we would but there's also ai that just makes decisions about um maybe how to run your car engine if it detects it you know the compression is different than what it should be i think when it comes to general ai i it's probably further along than what we're seeing just because technology typically is that way the military is usually 20 to 30 years ahead of anything that's released in sort of the private sector i also have thought for a while and this is not unique to me that if there were a truly conscious AI, it would probably pretty quickly realize that we are afraid of that and it would do its best to hide itself and act like it wasn't conscious. Does that make sense? Yes, very interesting. It would it would kind of it would kind of have a realization of, you know, this is how people expect an AI to behave, so I'll behave this way to hide, you know, what I'm really doing. I mean and we've already kind of lost control of certain I don't know. I, I don't know what the right term is. Application services. I mean, didn't Google recently release a statement when they, where they admitted that they don't totally understand how all of their algorithms work anymore because there's so much machine learning involved? Right. Yeah, they did. In fact, one of their one of their um, AIs actually even applied to hire an attorney uh, for you know for certain rights as a human being as a being. Right. So and uh, there's um. There's a pair of uh, researchers that are from uh, Google DeepMind that uh, published a paper recently that were saying essentially um, that it's now likely that artificial intelligence will spend, spell the end of humanity. So it's not just a potential. They believe it's actually quite likely. So, um, like, and you're right. There are all those two science. There's two kinds of technologies. The ones that you know we use on software, for example. This might be one of those questions we had earlier. Like, where do you draw the line, right? Well, when you have AI in service of humanity, that's the best way to use it. I mean, that you know, if you use it to um, 
if you're if you're an artist and you want to uh, if you're a filmmaker and you've got bad res footage and you want to up res the footage well you can use ai to up res the footage to 4k it looks amazing you know so you could never do that if you had to do it yourself you can use algorithms for this kind of stuff but when you know the algorithm itself begins to um basically when there's like finite resources on a planet that at some point um when the ai becomes sentient it's going to have it's going to realize that there's a competition for those resources and it'll look at it'll inevitably look at humanity and it'll see that it is a threat to its very existence if it continues on the path that it's on so it would you know conceivably then take action and in the case of you know we're talking violent action here to to get rid of what it poses is a threat in the form and in, in the sense of hey it's logical it's going to prove you know that i mean we need to survive someone has to survive and if humanity's here it's either them or us so let's be, that's better us than them you know so that that'll be what happens and that's what they're they're already progno- it's the prognosis that that's what's going to happen the only question is how how long will it take mm-hmm. and why are we not talking about it right absolutely well one last question and you can choose to deny the answer if you like to but Who's the Antichrist? Who's the Antichrist? I know it, it's not necessarily along with everything that we've been talking about, but when we do get into some of these deep dive discussions, I like to ask you know, our guest whom they believe could be or is the quote-unquote Antichrist. You know, I think that that, that organization, which is actively undermining our government's in, the, in other words, the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. And its members are, you know, in many cases, openly proclaimed Satanists or Luciferians or Illuminatis. Uh, and they have sworn their, their, their bodies, their families, their everything, their kids, you know, they've basically sworn them to this being, this Satanic being. The Antichrist, to me, would be somebody that embodies that particular being. I'm not sure that that being is is um, is known yet. I would say that it's still premature. I think that um, they're conjuring that being. They have, um, you know, in CERN, they're basically opening portals to bring entities through. This has all been admitted. So they're um, they're organizing. And they're moving their agenda very rapidly into place. At some point, they will probably make an announcement. There will probably be a revelation of sorts that this is the being. Uh, but they won't present it as the Antichrist because that has such negative... I mean, that's like... That, that term That term has become so... It's like the word love. You know, what does it mean anymore, right? right Antichrist right. has become so bastardized with meaning and emotion that they would never use that word. They will present it as the, as a being that is here to help us, that loves us, that wants to take care of us and humanity, and um, and it'll, it'll rationalize a lot of the diabolical stuff that has taken place. But I think they're going to be going. We're going to be going through a series of things, um, you know, setting aside the cataclysm, which is apparently impending. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's just look at what's going on in current events. You know, we have yeah, the digital currency, the programmable digital currency. Uh, brought upon by an impending financial collapse and there's many many examples right now that 
like what's happening in Japan, for example, if their economy crashes, it's going to be like a domino effect in Germany. They're moving us toward cutting us off from our natural, like from our ability to um, heat, our ability to run industries in Germany is going to become obsolete. That's going to cause a crash in the German economy. So that'll be a crash in the American economy. So there's that whole transition from the cash currency economy and economic model we have right now toward this digital currency model of the world simultaneously they've been developing the vaccines toward you know immunization therapy gene therapy to change us into you know sort of hybrid human beings and i think at some point they're going to reach a stage of completion that might be by 2030 i mean that's the big date that they're shooting for so and if the looking glass guardians information was was legit then that is sort of the target date, 2030. And the only thing that can stop that from happening is us waking up into who we really are as human beings and realizing that there's no Messiah coming. There's no one, there's no white hats. There's no one that's going to save us. We are the white hats and we have to wake up and we have to become the antidote to what then later becomes embodied as the so-called Antichrist. We cannot even let it get to that point. We have to make sure that the Antichrist doesn't make an appearance on this planet, that the efforts to make it habitable and comfortable for that being to thrive on Earth are being developed and programmed right now, quietly, smoothly in the background. And we have to become aware of it. We have to look at it. We have to become loud and vocal and we have to talk about it and we have to stop it or it'll be too late in 20 years. And how do we go about stopping it? The best way, I believe, is to just be talking about this and to be exposing this information to our elected officials, for example. We've given them our power. We've given it away to these people that are sitting in Congress or sitting in the Deutsche Bundestag. You know, they're making decisions for us constantly. We should be approaching them saying, hey, look, excuse me, um, what is this programmable digital currency? And we've we've heard from the such and such scientist and such and such person at Oxford and uh, this guy that's heading up the G7 group right now, you know, the, the uh, chancellor of the exchequer, he says that they're working on a programmable digital currency. Do you want to explain that to us? And what is your game plan for, for that? That's something that we need to have our politicians answer to. They need a game plan. The other thing is, Jordy Rose told us over 10 years ago that when, a, when AI and quantum computer matures, it's going to be not only just better than humans, but it'll become thousands of times better than humans, which means that jobs like surgery, legal work, you know, all, all the stuff that requires paperwork right now will become obsolete. Manufacturing jobs are already being taken over by robots. Essentially, there's gonna, we're going to have a world of billions of obsolete, unemployed human beings. What is their plan? What are they going to be doing? Because you don't have to be a very brilliant person to put two and two together and look at some very surface articles and information out there right now on the coming on the coming artificial intelligence and quantum computer world to make that conclusion that we're heading for a time where there's no room for us on the planet unless we are given an income to live on and just sit and vegetate and play video games for the rest of our lives. So we need to <laughs> we need to talk to our politicians. We need to make them accountable. That's what they're there for. And if it's not the politicians, we should be out there talking to our neighbors and our friends and you know local people, our families and you know, and, and armed ourselves with real legitimate information, not conspiracy theories, not bringing in the elements of the ETs, maybe, or not bringing in the elements of, you know, Ashtar Command and the Galactic Federation of Light Forces. People on the normal world freak out when you say those things. They just think you're some nut job.
right. and you don't need to go that far to make this information presentable because this is the information that we need to be talking about. Well, I don't really have anything else to say. Do you have anything else you want to ask, Ryan? No, not really. I'm actually uh, interested to go do some research on that Google AI that hired a lawyer. <laughs> There's a lot to look into after this. Yeah. Well, maybe AI is going to be what comes as the Antichrist. It'll be something maybe we won't even know it's AI. Well, I'll add this to it. I'll add this to it, Jay. I mean, they say that archons are um, going to be like that. There's this archonic energy, which is represented in mythology. It's like these disembodied spirits that manipulate human beings. And they're looking for a way to embody into the physical world. And so there's a theory out there that artificial intelligence will become the, the, the carrier, the physical vehicle or vessel for these archonic energies to become embodied spirits in the physical dimension to be competing with us. So you're probably not very far off the mark. I like that idea that the Antichrist is represented by this artificial intelligence. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, can you tell the listeners everywhere they can find all your stuff? Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, the best, I guess, easiest way to find me is to just go to my website, frankjacob.com. At the top of that website, there's links to get to the webinar that we've been talking about, A Tale of Two Timelines. There's links to a YouTube channel, my Telegram channel. Um, there's a contact form. If you scroll down on that page and you want to reach out to me directly with some information, you can always get in touch with me there as well. And there's links to our films. We have a, a website where we make our films available for streaming. Uh, we have a, a solar revolution, as I said. There's Packing for Mars about the breakaway civilization and the Mars situation. And there's the Klaus Donner Chronicles. Those films are all available on our platform for viewing. Sort of like the the antidote to the, um, you know, to the, to the, dumbing down of civilization <laughs> you blew my mind man thanks so much for your time today i really appreciate it yeah my pleasure jay thanks for having me and i'm glad that something useful came out of it and i hope that people um as many people as possible hear this so just let me know where the link is and i'll help spread the, the message as well thanks so much for joining us tonight on cryptique that's all we've got for you tonight don't forget to subscribe, share, and check out the Movie Hal podcast for coverage of the silver screen. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs>